reading of Scripture this morning. We continue in the Gospel of St. Mark, straight talk about Jesus Christ. And here in chapter 6, we pick up with verse 37 through 44 this morning. Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 6, beginning in verse 37. Let us hear and attend to the Word of God. But Jesus answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. We'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. Two of the most generally known stories about Jesus are his feeding the multitude with a few pieces of bread and fish and his walking on the water. Now, I want to remind you that these two stories, the feeding of the multitude and Jesus walking on the water, are connected in the gospel narratives. Here in Mark chapter 6, which we'll get to next week, Jesus walking on the water after the feeding of the multitude. But if you also look in Matthew chapter 14 or John chapter 6, you'll see that the feeding of the multitude and then Jesus walking on the water, uh, these are connected in the gospel narratives. And I find it puzzling that of all Jesus' wonders and signs, that his feeding the multitude with a few pieces of food and his walking on the water seem to be the most recognizable. I, to me, that's puzzling. Of all things Jesus did, when I think about the mighty works that Jesus did, uh, these don't necessarily come to the top of my list. I think they're marvelous. I think they're awesome. I think they are uh, very much intended to teach us about who Jesus is, but I don't find them to be the most astounding of Jesus' signs and wonders. But for some reason, popular recognition, Jesus feeding the multitude, and Jesus walking on the water seems to have taken hold. Um, this is Jesus' first miracle of feeding the multitude. There's another one to come, which we will talk about. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but this is Jesus' first miraculous feeding of a multitude. It's the only miracle that's uh, recorded in all four of the Gospels other than Jesus' resurrection. And it's commonly reported that this was a big crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children. Uh, so this is something important. Mark uses the specific term uh, for man or for men, not the generic term of, of people. So he says there were specifically 5,000 men. And then Matthew adds that there were women and children in addition to the 5,000 men. John notes that it was at the time of the Passover, the feast of the Passover was near. And Mark also adds that it was at the time of year when the grass was green. So it was around the time of Passover in the spring. And so it may have been that these were uh, made up of family groups or groups of friends that were traveling together or that were gathering together for the upcoming Passover. But for whatever reason, there were 5,000 plus. And some have, have speculated, I mean, I think simply to say, if we doubled it to 10,000, 5,000 men plus women and children could easily be 10,000. Or some have suggested even upwards of fifteen or 20,000. And that's a significant crowd, isn't it? 
If I remember correctly, our local high school over here, a, a, a big high school, but I think the uh, f- football stadium there sits, you know, 10,000 or 12,000 people, if I remember correctly. Am I right? <laughs> I think I remember that. Somebody told me that one time. Um, so it's a, big, it's a big group. It's a lot of people. Kind of give you a perspective on that. But I want to ask you, what impresses us more from this story? The size of the crowd of the miracles uh, 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 that came, you know, uh, the size of the crowd or the miracle of the multiplying the little bit of fish. Let me refocus on that. What, what impresses you the most when you hear of this story? Are you impressed with the crowd? Wow, there was over 5,000 people gathered together there. You know, maybe 10,000 or more, you know, gathered to Jesus. Or that Jesus took a few pieces of uh, bread and fish and fed them all. What really gets your attention? Well, I think we tend to focus on those things, but I don't think that's the real focus that we should be looking at. It is, rather, what do we take away from this story about gospel ministry? And and that maybe sometimes gets away from us. Very often, when it comes to these stories, we have it applied to us that, that we need to be trying to reach crowds. Or we need to be trying to address people's felt needs. We need to, you know, that's what we take away from this story. That's what the gospel is about. But if you read this story carefully and if you uh, um, read it by the uh, scripture interpreting scripture and what Jesus himself tells us about and John records in John chapter 6 about this story, you, you find something far more important about the gospel ministry. Then and now, it seems there are confused and false messianic expectations from focusing on the external, material, human-centered priorities of popularity and felt needs. I want to tell you, that's not what this story is about. That's not what the gospel ministry is about. It's not about popularity. And it's not about meeting people's felt needs. John tells us on the following day when the crowd followed after Jesus, they had false messianic expectations. They wanted to take Jesus and make him their king, but they wanted to make him an earthly king, and they wanted an earthly kingdom. They wanted him to meet all their felt needs. And Jesus confronts that and tells them that's not what that sign was about. It was about his being the bread of life that comes down from heaven, and it was about his demonstrating to them that they were going to eat and be hungry again, but he would give them the food and he would give them the drink that would satisfy their souls that would be for eternal life, the heavenly bread. And they said, well, give us this heavenly bread. And he said, I am the bread of life. I give you my body. I give you my blood to eat and to drink. And they got offended at that. And they left him. And Jesus said, I told you, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The flesh profits nothing. The flesh will give you nothing. Physical bread and physical drink will not give you eternal life. And so that's the focus. That's where Jesus is addressing that we understand in terms of the gospel ministry. It's not about popularity, and it's not about meeting people's felt needs. Mark's record of Jesus' miracle feeding of the multitude, as we said, of 5,000 plus, is a faith story about God's way of salvation. Do you understand it that way? When we read here in the gospel of Mark, of Jesus feeding the multitude and of how, that went, how he went about that and what he said to his apostles. Do you read that and do you understand, oh, this is a faith story about God's way of salvation. This isn't a story about popularity and about meeting people's felt needs and having a big picnic. I often think of that scene of this vast multitude of people 
uh, set out on the hillside in the green grass there close to the sea uh, at the evening of the day when the water's reflecting and glistening off of the shore, uh, off of the water onto the shore, and the people are dressed in their colorful attire. And I get the idea of an impressionist painting. What a beautiful scene that must have been. But do we get lost in that and not understand that it's a gospel story? It's about the way of salvation. And in this section in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 52, the section that we're in, we're dealing with weak belief. Weak belief from not keeping Christ-centered scripture testimonies and teachings. That's what we're told, as we'll see next week, about the apostles, even though they witnessed this and were a part of it. They didn't connect it. They didn't connect the dots. It was, as a matter of fact, we're told that their hearts were hardened about the, the, the feeding of the multitude. And they didn't connect it to the gospel ministry. And as we said in John chapter 6, Jesus makes it very clear that this feeding of the multitude and his caring for them was not about meeting their felt needs or about being popular to the crowd. As a matter of fact, the crowd turned away from him and left. And so this continues on here in the Gospel of Mark. This chapter 6 is about the gospel conflict in this sinful world. And that conflict that we have with the God, from the gospel with the world, that conflict is against unbelief, we've seen that, about disbelief, we've seen that, false beliefs, and now weak belief. But what we find as we come to the conclusion of chapter 6 is that saving faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the victory that overcomes the world. And that's what I want to impress upon you. We'll, we'll complete chapter 6 next week, and that's what it all is leading up to. This is why we're focusing so and saying, look, this feeding of the multitude, this miracle that Jesus did, it's a story about salvation, not about popularity and felt needs. And we must keep Christ-centered testimonies and teachings so that we not miss the meaning. Look at verse 37. Jesus answered, remember what they said in as they were wanting Jesus to send the people away to take care of themselves, it's a desert place or deserted place, uh, and that they don't have food, and so it's late. Send them away, verse thirty-six, that they may go into the surrounding country and buy uh, um, and villages and buy for themselves food. They may have something to eat. And Jesus, in verse thirty-seven, answers the apostles and says to them, "You give them something to eat." And they said to him, "Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat?" So, what was Jesus' intent telling the apostles to give the multitude something to eat? Again, I think we miss the point in terms of what Jesus is dealing with here. Jesus was not telling his apostles to do a miracle. That often is, is the wrong and misguided assumption that is made. Oh, Jesus was telling them now as they had returned from the gospel ministry that where he had sent them out and they had seen the wonders of God and what they had done he was saying now take that one step further and you feed them you do a miracle that's not what Jesus was saying rather Jesus was testing their faith about gospel ministry priorities what is really needful here they were wrapped up and worried about the people eating Jesus had compassion on them he cared about them and so I think it's uh, legitimate for us to ask as the as we witness the apostles here what for us to ask what could they have done differently what could the apostles have done differently they immediately jumped to a conclusion 
We can't provide for these people. Do we oftentimes, in lack of faith, in weak faith, jump to a conclusion that we can't do it? We're not going to make it? It's not going to happen? We immediately give in to doubt. We doubt God. We begin to presume and, and, and we look around and we say, it can't happen. And Jesus says, you do it. Is Jesus telling them to perform a miracle? No, Jesus isn't telling them to perform a miracle. Jesus is telling them to trust Him. So you know what the apostles could have done differently? They could have said, what do you want us to do, Lord? Tell us what to do. But what did they do? Immediately they said, we don't have enough money. We don't have a way to provide for them. The only way that we can figure it out is that they need something to eat. And we don't have enough money to go buy them something to eat. Now, the amount of money, when they say 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough, they're not exaggerating that amount. That, that amount, 200 denarii, would equal about eight months of an average income for a family or person in that time. So about eight months of an income. That's substantial, isn't it? And so I thought about this as an illustration. Consider if this crowd of men, women, and children was 10,000. It's 5,000 plus women and children. So let's just, as an estimate, for the sake of argument, say that it doubled it. It was 10,000 men, women, and children. 10,000 there with Jesus. By a contemporary comparison, if you were going to feed them with a $3 fish taco meal, that would be $30,000. So here's where the apostles immediately go. We don't have eight months of salary. We don't have eight months worth of money to go out and to buy fish tacos for people. How are we going to provide for them? We can't do it. We don't have enough. We're, we're unable to meet their needs. And the point that Jesus is making is, you're looking at the wrong needs. It's easy for Jesus to supply food. That's the easy thing. The hard thing is what it costs for our soul's salvation. And that's what Jesus always says must be first. That must always be the main focus. That must always be the main message of a Christ-centered testimony and teachings. It's about soul salvation. So Jesus' response to the uh, apostles concern and their concerns about how do we take care of this people intentionally, I believe, uh, is provocative. And these, the events of chapter 6 in John uh, show that very clearly. That Jesus was intending to be provocative. If you go and I'd ask you to read chapter 6 of John, you'll see that where he goes with this and says it's not about physical food. And they say, oh, our, our forefathers, our ancestors ate manna in the desert. God provided for them manna. And in that story, God provided manna, the bread from heaven, but also quail. And Jesus' point is, they ate the provision that God provided, but what happened to them? They still died in the desert. They still died in the wilderness. Why did they die in the wilderness? You know the answer. It's replete throughout Scripture, we're told, because of their lack of faith. Yeah, it was easy for God to provide them with food, but they didn't look to Him for their soul's need. And they died in the wilderness for lack of faith. That's a warning to us. Paul uses that as a warning. The generation that died in the wilderness because of unbelief. So Jesus is intentionally being provocative. And he's provoking us in terms of our faith. And what do we believe? So Jesus provided the multitude of people with food for a satisfying meal. But notice this. He did not offer them the surplus of what was left over. 
And he didn't continue to feed them on the next day when they followed him and said, we want to be fed again. So the surplus that was left over, we'll talk about that in a moment. Jesus didn't offer it to the multitude like magic bread that they could take along with them. Oh, take some of this with you. Whenever you're hungry, reach into your lunch basket and you can pull out some uh, a fish taco, some bread and fish. And every time you reach your hand in there, you're going to pull out a fish taco. And you know what would happen? If every time... We had a magic lunchbox that we could pull out a fish taco. Do you know what would happen? I can tell you what would happen tomorrow. We would be tired of fish tacos. Forget the miracle. Forget that God's going to always provide. Forget that we're going to have food. We're going to complain and say, well, couldn't it be a bean burrito? Couldn't it be a steak? Couldn't it be a fajita? I'm tired of fish tacos. That's the point that Jesus is making We get all wrapped up in our felt needs and our physical wants and desires. And we want Jesus to supply us so that we feel like there's no need for faith. We have a magic lunch basket that we can just pull food out of every time we get hungry. That's what the people wanted. Jesus said, I know why you followed me. Not because you saw the sign and understood the power of God and the message of salvation. You followed me because you want me to feed your bellies. So, Jesus provided the multitude of people with food for a satisfying meal, but he did not offer them the leftovers, and he did not continue to feed them. By doing this, he revealed misguided ministry emphases and false messianic expectations, both of which continue causing confusion about the mission and the priorities of the visible church today. And that's why I referenced John chapter 6. It's really important to go back and read that. And what does Jesus tell us we should be focused on? Not upon popularity and meeting people's felt needs, but in witnessing the gospel, in Christ-centered testimonies about salvation. You can eat fish tacos today and still be hungry tomorrow. But Jesus, believing in Him as the bread of life, satisfies your soul so that you have the promise and the that satisfaction of hope and trust for everlasting, for eternal life. Now, look at verses 38 through 43, the balance of this section. Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they, uh, when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties, And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. So that's the balance of the story. And we have Jesus intentionally using scriptural symbolism Revealing God's truths for a purpose greater than a momentary miracle. I want that to sink in with you. You may overlook this. You may not focus on it significantly as we should. But Jesus uses scriptural symbolism to reveal gospel truths. What Jesus is doing here is more than about just feeding people. It's a greater purpose than a momentary miracle. The miracle was done. The next day they wanted more. Do more miracles. Do more for us. We want our felt needs met. We want everything we want. We want you to be like the genie in the bottle to give us all our wishes. And Jesus says, that's not what this is about. 
And that's not what this story is about. Not to give you all your felt needs. There were uh, five pieces of flatbread and two little dried or pickled fish. That was the very common and unrefined basic food of the time. And very honestly, it was kind of like a fish taco. It was flatbread of barley. It was the most common and course of, of, of the bread grains that were used. It was the cheapest. And the fish would have been pickled or dried. So this was a very common meal. As a matter of fact, we're told that they, they, it came from a little boy. Maybe his mom had packed his, his lunch. That's often uh, suggested. But what you must, must not miss is the biblical significance of the number seven. There were five flatbread pieces and two fish. That makes a combination of seven, which you know has to do with God's perfections and completeness of his purposes. So don't lose the symbolism there that Jesus took those combined five and two, those seven elements of food, the most common and basic, and he used it to demonstrate his power and to illustrate his greater purpose that he is the bread of life come down from heaven. So it's not about just providing food for people. So don't miss that symbolism. This miracle feeding of over 5,000 was a demonstration of God's greater presence and power because it is well known. If you know the Bible like the people here would have known the Old Testament, there were two miraculous feedings associated with great prophets, Elijah and Elisha. But here, the magnitude of what Jesus did is impressive. We're not taking back from that. I think it's astounding. Here is a vast multitude of perhaps over 10,000 people. And Jesus takes a handful of a few pieces of bread and a few pieces of fish and he feeds them in a miraculous way. This was a miracle, but it was a momentary miracle that had a greater meaning. And that greater meaning was a demonstration that he is greater than the prophets of old. But he, he brings not just the word of God, he is the word of God. And he fulfills the word of God and he brings God's promised salvation. Now, symbols are powerful representations of ideas. We know that. But they must be interpreted and limited by scripturally revealed truth, as the prohibitions against idolatry prove. Symbolism is powerful. Symbolism, if it is not confined and interpreted and limited by scriptural truth, easily leads to the corruption of idolatry. And so... Some of the greatest temptations corrupting the gospel ministry are idolizing crowds, numbers, and claiming miracles or external shows of power. God's power's here. Come see these miracles. God's power's here. Why? Because the more people, the greater the numbers, that proves our success. That shows that God is blessing in numbers and in shows. And here Jesus tells us no. That is not a demonstration of God's uh, pleasure. God's pleasure is that you be faithful, that you believe Him, that you trust Him, that you trust Him tomorrow just like you do today. That if He provided for you today, He's going to provide for you tomorrow. Why? Because He's God. He's proven Himself faithful. It is a, a test of faith that we trust God every day. And living by faith, beloved, is not to make us weary. Living by faith is to make us joyful and assured. Are you tired of living by faith? I just wish I had more money in the bank. 
Because i, I got to pay my bills, and each month I'm having to pay my bills. And, and I'm just tired of living by faith and having to work hard and having to save and having to pay bills first. I want to have fun. Hmm. So what you really want is an idol. You really want to idolize your felt needs and your fun, and you want life to be easy, and you don't want to live by faith. Sounds like that's what the people <laughs> that Jesus was dealing with said because of the condition of the human heart. And it is dangerous for us to start idolizing numbers and crowds. If we just had more people, if we just had a, a bigger show, let's change things, let's make it more impressive. If we can impress people, more people will come. And that's the goal, isn't it? To have more people and to impress them. No, that's not the goal. The goal is to be faithful to God, be true to His Word, and to preach the message of salvation through Christ alone even if it turns people away, because only the Holy Spirit can turn them to Jesus. In this very context, Jesus says, as those the Father has given to me, they're the ones who will believe. I will lose nothing. They will not be turned out, those who believe in me, but those who turn away and say, we don't want that message. We don't want to hear the gospel. We want to have a, a big show and a lot of people. And Jesus says, that's not what the gospel is. That's not what the purpose is. That's not the reason for my doing this miracle. The miracle's over. Did you get the message? The message is you need God's bread of life. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You must believe in me. People say, well, how do we believe in you? And he says, this is the works of God. We want to do the works of God. And they said, well, what are, we want to do the works of God. And Jesus said, this is the works of God, that you believe in him whom the Father has sent. He says, I give myself for the life of the world. You must uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they say, ooh, who can do that? And he says, no, it's spiritual bread. It's spiritual bread. You must understand that you must eat by faith, just like you eat the, the bread and the fish and, the, and you drink the water or wine. You must eat by faith. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The flesh profits nothing. You're only thinking in terms of the physical. You must think in terms of the, the faith and the spiritual. And I want you to think about this because there's a lot of controversy that's stimulated over these words of Jesus historically. But let's listen to this, to what Jesus says. Even if, okay, even if the bread and the wine or the juice turned into the body and the blood of Jesus, do you hear what Jesus said? The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Even if the bread and the, and the cup turned into the body and blood of Jesus, it would still not save you because the flesh profits nothing. Think about that for a moment. We're told that, well, this uh, bread and this cup must turn into the body and blood of Jesus for you to partake of him. And Jesus says, even if it did, that still would not save you. Because the flesh cannot save you. And so this bread and this cup do not turn into the body and the blood of Jesus. They symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus given for our sin, guilt as a sacrifice. They symbolize to us what God is able to do spiritually. And we take this bread and this cup 
And the symbol of this bread and this cup are limited and informed by the word of God, by the scriptures that Jesus gives the words of institution. He says, this is what this bread and this cup mean beyond the physical. They are limited and informed by the word of God so that you might take them in faith, believing in Jesus as the bread of life. So Jesus, having the 12 apostles arrange and serve the people in ordered groups, they sat down in hundreds and fifties, that previews, it symbolizes and previews the new covenant church in fulfillment of old covenant Israel. And I want you to think about the 12 tribes of Israel arranged around the tabernacle. And Jesus here uh, out on uh, the shore of the sea, perhaps uh, up on the, the side of the, of the hill there, and of the, of the groups of people arranged around him. I, I think Jesus was probably in the middle there, like the tabernacle, and the groups of people were arranged around him, and it was previewing for us a fulfillment of a greater Israel of God, the new covenant. Remember that the 12 loaves of showbread or the bread of the presence collected and consecrated each Sabbath day in the holy place of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Do you know that the 12 loaves had a greater symbolic and significant meaning than the manna and the quail that was provided in the wilderness? What do you think is greater? That God provided manna and quail in the wilderness? The people ate, but they still died. And they were dissatisfied. They weren't happy. We want more than bread. So the Lord caused the quail to come in. And they ate the quail. And they got dissatisfied. And they said, well, we miss the good food that we had in Egypt. So all that God provided for them, just in terms of their felt needs, didn't change their heart, did it? And he tells us that the 12 loaves of the showbread were of greater symbolism and meaning Because it was attesting to God's presence in their midst. That's what our worship is about. And that's what this Lord's Supper is about. That Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you by faith more real than this bread and this cup are to your physical senses. Do you believe that? That Jesus is more real to us by faith than this bread and this cup are to our physical senses. See, it's beyond the physical. It's beyond our validation it is by faith trusting the word of god and his promises in reference to our salvation and then we read in the text here that there were 12 lunch baskets full of leftovers now i emphasize that because the term baskets here was not like big fish baskets or harvest baskets the 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 very term that's used here was more like a lunch basket a small basket so there were 12 lunch baskets of fragments or of, of leftovers from the bread and from the fish And I want you to understand from that that as a prophet and lawgiver greater than Moses, what did Jesus guide and direct his apostles to do? He he commissioned them to be servant leaders. And so this is what I think about those 12 baskets of uh, lunch baskets of leftovers. I think that the apostles ate after they had fed the crowd, after they had followed Jesus and done what Jesus said. Now remember... They were out there. They were concerned. They were hungry. They they hadn't even had time to eat. That's why Jesus said originally, let's go to a deserted place. Let's go over across the the sea and let's find some some R&R for us. But the crowds followed him and Jesus had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And they came and said, it's far into the day. We haven't had anything to eat. They're hungry. Uh, Have them go away. 
Tell them to go find for themselves. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. And that's when they started in on this. We don't have enough money. There's never enough money. There's never enough food. And Jesus, you miss it. That's not what the gospel is. It's not about a crowd and, and felt needs. But yet Jesus, with his compassion, after he had his apostles feed the multitude. And, and I don't know. The scriptures don't explain to us exactly how that happened. I mean, I sort of have an idea that they were arranged around Jesus in these crowds. He said, have them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties, uh, probably according to the custom of the time that the men and the women of children would have sat separately. It was just a custom of the time. I think they were arranged around Jesus. And I think that, that Jesus blessed the bread and the fish. He broke it and put it into a basket, each one of the uh, apostles holding a lunch basket. Jesus broke the bread and broke the fish and put it in there in, in each one of the 12 apostles' baskets. And my assumption is that as they went to the groups, they reached in and pulled out a fish taco. And they kept reaching in and pulling out a fish taco. And there was never an end to the fish tacos until everyone had eaten as many as they wanted. Here's a big burly fisherman. He wants five fish tacos. And here's his little five-year-old who just wants to nibble on one fish taco. I mean, it's a multiple group of people, men, women, and children. It's very real. The people were there. They were fed. They were fed to the satisfaction. They ate as much as they wanted. And guess what? When they looked after they had fed everyone and they opened that lunch basket, each of the apostles, what? there was another fish taco. Maybe James wanted three fish tacos. Maybe Peter wanted five fish tacos. We don't know, but they all ate and were filled after they had served the others following Jesus. And I did have this thought. I wonder if anybody offered to share with Jesus. And that, wouldn't that be something? Everybody's so concerned about eating themselves and they open the lunch basket and, oh, three fish tacos left for me. Did anybody even bother to ask Jesus if he wanted anything to eat? Wouldn't surprise me if they didn't. Wouldn't surprise me if I didn't. <laughs> Shame on me. Because the lesson here is about faith. It's about trusting God. And it's going beyond just having our hunger met. It's about having our life saved. Having our soul redeemed. So there are lots of lessons in this passage that we need to take to heart. Keeping the Christian gospel, more or less pure, is direct, directly related to faithfully keeping Christ-centered testimonies and teaching. And none is greater than the fulfillment of the new covenant in the church as the kingdom of God. They wanted to take Jesus and make him their king, and he's like, you don't even understand what that means. My kingdom is not of this world. It's not the way you're thinking. But in all the symbolism that's rich in this passage, Jesus is demonstrating that he's the prophet greater than Moses, than Elijah or Elisha. That he is a shepherd greater than Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus of the Old Testament. That he offers food, his, his bread from heaven, that he is the true bread from heaven. Not the man and the quail and the food that was supplied, the physical food that people ate in the wilderness, the ancestors who ate and still died in the wilderness. Because it's not about physical food. It's not about crowds. It's not about having your felt needs met. It's not about making a big show that will impress people. It's about being faithful to Jesus day in and day out. And saying, if Jesus provided today, he'll provide tomorrow. 
Will we follow Jesus? As a matter of fact, that's where this story ends in John chapter 6. Jesus said to the apostles, because the crowd went away, they said, this is hard stuff. We don't like it. This isn't what we signed up for. And they went away and they didn't follow Jesus anymore. Read it in John chapter 6. And Jesus turned to his apostles and said, are you also going to go away? Are you going to leave me? And Peter gives that confession that for all true believers is the bedrock of our faith. To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Forget the fish tacos and whether we're going to eat or not. You have the words of eternal life. And we know and have come to believe that you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. Earlier on, Jesus said, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you They are spirit and they are life. And so when we take this Lord's Supper, we take physical bread, we take the cup of juice or of wine, it's physical, real elements of food, but they are symbolic, identified and limited by the word of God and the words of institution to tell us of a greater reality, of a greater truth, that Jesus is the bread of life and that Jesus has given his life blood to cover our sin's guilt, to save our soul. And you know what one of the most wonderful things about the new covenant is? That the blood of circumcision and the blood of the Passover are gone away because the bloodshed is over in the blood of the Lord Jesus. Once he shed his blood for the remission of our sin's guilt. And so this is no sacrifice. Jesus' real blood is not necessary here because Jesus' real blood has already satisfied an eternal satisfaction to our Heavenly Father. This is symbolism identified by Christ-centered teachings and testimonies and it tells us that God keeps His promises. Did God keep His promise in the Lamb of God who came instead of a sheep A man? A human like you and me? Did God keep his promise? Beloved, is God going to keep his promise tomorrow? Is God going to keep his promise when the day of your last breath comes? That's what this story is about. God keeps his promises and Jesus proves it. We come to this Lord's Supper this morning. You know that this is the Lord's table. It's not the table of any particular church. It's not the.